Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Dana Goodby-Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, UFC 276 was an absolute banger last weekend. A couple of decent title fights as well as some other great finishes. We'll be touching upon that, but we are moving on ahead to next week's show at the Apex. UFC Vegas 58, headlined by Rafael Fiziev versus Rafael Dos Anjos. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on that main card. As well as giving you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. Plus, as always, we're talking to a couple of the fighters on the show itself. First, I'll be talking to Kai Bohayo, kicking off the show. And then later on in the show, I'll be talking to Courtney Casey as she gets ready to fight Antonita Shevchenko. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTuber sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week, you can check out our bonus selections that are only available at the Top Turtle MMA page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Kai Bohio, who fights Armand Petrosian at UFC Vegas 58 on July 9th. So, Kai, before we start talking about your upcoming fight, I want to talk about your last fight. Uh, obviously, a really weird ending. There's an accidental illegal knee. You get the win, but I- I'm curious, what did it feel like while you were waiting for the judges to-, to score that fight and determine whether or not you did win that fight? <laughs> I was so frustrated, man. I was, like, scared to be DQ, you know. But after my, my coaches came to me and said, man, I think we're going to the judge's decision. It, it wasn't your fault. The judges know that you didn't mean to do it. So I, I got a little, I got calmed down and a, a little bit, uh, you know, like, uh, like I was like, accepting, you know, like, okay, I didn't do it on purpose. I know I, I did a, a great fight. So I, I, it might be on, on judges' decision. But the first minute or the first two minutes, man, it was scary as fuck, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I, I'm curious, too, because like you said, it was such a good performance. You you did put together such a, a complete fight. Was it a little bit frustrating that you, you kind of didn't get the chance to finish the fight there, that you didn't get a chance to you know either you know finish hard or, or even get that stoppage? Yeah, yeah. It was frustrating, man. Like, it was like a film passing by my in front of me again, you know, because my first fight on Contender Series, I did an amazing performance and I didn't got the contract, you know. So it feel like the same way, you know, look like I was in the top of the mountain and then I was in the bottom, you know. So it, it was a little bit frustrating, but I didn't like this to bother me too much because I knew of my skills and I knew what I've done in the fight and I knew that I... uh that I make the judges know that I was dominating, you know, I dominated a Dagestani guy in his game, you know, so he was like a, a Sambo one champion and I dominated him totally, totally. 
Absolutely. And and now, you know, you mentioned the, the, the skill level was clearly shown and, and the hype is clearly shown. And now, now you're getting rewarded with it seemingly again, right? Like you, you are now in a co-main event spot for the second straight fight. Both of your fights in the UFC are going to be co-main events. What was your reaction yep. to finding that out for the second time? Ah, uh, man, I was so happy, man. It means that UFC know, knows what I'm saying, know, knows my job, you know. They, they really value my job, what I've been doing all these years. So, man, I was happy, man. You know, like, if, if I fall in the, in the first fight of the night, I was, uh, I was going to be uh, happy the same way. But no, it's a co-main event again. It, it makes me feel like I'm on the stars, you know, like everyone will be watching. Everyone will see my performance. So it, it's it's a really good position to be, you know, and I think this is my position. It's not because of Armin or anyone. It's just because of myself, because I did a tremendous job the last times. I know how to talk English and I know how to sell the fight. Armin doesn't even talk English. So he he is in this position because of me. And I know that and I'll make him, him feel that. And, and that's an, an interesting thought, too, because we don't hear a lot of fighters talk about that concept. But is that something, as you were coming up as a young up-and-coming fighter, that you really focused on? Obviously, your English is great. You're here talking to me and doing a doing a phone interview right now. But is that something that you did because you knew you were going to have to market yourself to American audiences more? Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Like, I, I visualize myself, myself not just as a fighter, no, but as a product. I'm a UFC product, and I know I and I need to sell me, me on, you know. I need to sell myself. So uh, the better you sell yourself, the better you're gonna get paid. So I knew if I was talking English and get used to the crowd and you know like connecting to the fans, I know I I knew that was gonna put me in in better positions, you know. So you're seeing the second fight, the second main, second co-main event. So I think everything is worth it, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I got to draw a comparison here and I'm sure, you know, it's not a comparison that everybody loves getting, but there was another Brazilian middleweight who, who got co-main events and main events right out of the gate too. He had a pretty storied career. Do, do you ever keep getting those comparisons to, to Anderson Silva? The UFC obviously rushing you, not necessarily up the rankings that fast, but on the placement of the cards that early. Is is that something that you welcome? Oh, for sure, man. Anderson Silva is the coach, man. <laughs> look how many defenses he has. Look what he did in the sport. Look all the guys that, that he beat. Look all, all the years that he got, like, uh, without losing, you know? So I, I really love this comparison. You know, like, I'm myself. He's himself. But I, I, I like this comparison, man. You know, like, being compared to Anderson Silva is a huge honor for me, you know? So be put in the same position that he was put in, in his early career, it makes me feel that I'm in the right path, I'm in the right way, and I just need to win the fight to get this title soon, you know? Absolutely. And we'll talk about that fight in just a moment, but before we do, I do want to ask, you know, obviously growing up in Brazil, growing up, an, I assume, an MMA fan, was Anderson Silva the one that you did look up to, or was there another perhaps Brazilian or otherwise MMA fighter that, that you look to emulate and look to, to be like as you grew up? No, no, no. I, I, I don't like to emulate uh, Anderson Silva. I, uh, I think one of the guys that I saw most was Conor McGregor. I think he's one of the guys that did a lot of things for this sport. You know, he, what, what he did is undeniable, man. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to him, you know, my style, 
my softball stance. Uh, I became softball because of him, because I was orthodox, and then I became softball because of him. Now I fight just in softball. So when the civil wasn't the guy that I was always looking. Of course, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, it's a huge honor to be compared with him, but it's not him that I was looking at, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and, and, and certainly there, there is uh, some similarities there as far as the stands in, in some of the boxing. Now, I, I want to talk about boxing, because you're fighting Armin Petrosian, a guy who, who is known for his stand-up game. You know, every single one of his fights, except for his, his last UFC fight, has ended with a knockout. In, in you know, you're a guy who, like you said, you're pretty confident in your hands, but you're also perfectly welcome to fight somebody else's game you just did with with yeah. Omar Godzaev. So is that what yeah. you see happening here? You see yourself standing and trading with the kickboxer? Yeah, for sure, man. I, I know I can stand and trade and trade punches with anyone in the entire world, you know? I know I'm, I'm confident about my skills, my abilities. I've been working my striking game for long, for several years. So I think I can I can strike with anyone, you know? And then and you guys are going to see that on July 9th, you know? I'm going to strike with him, make him confident to come forward to me and then find my takedowns, find my ground game because uh, we, it, it's, it's more like intelligent when you go when the, where the opponent doesn't want to go, you know? So I'm not like stupid or full of ego to, oh, I'm going to strike him and knock him out, just do it, you know, like just to prove something to, 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 to fans or to someone. No, I want to prove to myself that I can beat him. It, it could be on the ground, on the striking, or if I bite his finger and he taps it, it's okay, you know? I just need this, <laughs> this, this green, green spot on my topology, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I, I want to ask, you know, I always like to ask fighters for a prediction before I let them go. How do you personally see the fight ending? Uh, you know, you mentioned it could end anyway, but is, is there a way that you see it personally ending? Yeah, the, there's two, two ways that I can win this fight, being very precisely. It could be with my uh, right hook because uh, he he got a lot of openings in this in this area of his body, you know. So uh, my right hook can knock him out, or I can submit him in the second round. That's that's what I think. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Kai Bohayo, who fights Armand Petrosian at UFC Vegas 58. That fight on July 9th. Kai, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. I'm, I'm arriving in Vegas tomorrow, so we got in touch for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so I, I'll much. Be, I'll, be in the, I'll be in the UFC 276, too. I'll, I'll attend this event, too, so I'll be there. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank you so much, man. I, I do really appreciate the time again. Yeah, thank you, man. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Kai Bohayo. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave there's a lot to unpack from UFC 276. We certainly could talk about the middleweight title picture, Izzy Adesanya's performance, Alex Pereira knocking Sean Strickland silly. But I want to start here instead. Alexander Volkanovsky perhaps put the most dominant of his three wins on Max Holloway this weekend. Is he the best fighter in the planet right now? <laughs> um... I hate these types of conversations. Like, are we talking, so we're saying pound for pound, is he the best fighter? Uh, maybe because John Jones isn't currently fighting. Sure. He's right up there. Yeah. And I, I, I see people arguing that Kamara Usman is ahead of him. And don't get me wrong. Usman is shows incredible scale and is certainly in that conversation. But like when, when you look at resume, the, I mean, the dude is beat Chad Mendez, Jose Aldo. He beat, 
you know, Max Holloway three times now. He's also got wins over, you know, like he made Korean Zombie look like he ain't ever fought before. Uh, you know, he beat Ortega. Like uh, that resume versus like beating. I mean, what are what are Usman's best wins? Colby Covington twice. Like, and don't get me wrong, those are good, but I'll take three Max Holloways over two Colby Covingtons. Yeah, I think you know, I think Max certainly benefits there, or excuse me, uh, Volkanovski certainly benefits there from beating guys like Max, a former champion. Um, you know, people like Korean Zombie, who's been a perennial title contender. Whereas there's been a lot of turnover at welterweight and there aren't those like hanging on legends per se, or even a former champion, really like, you know, he beat Tyron Woodley. Well, Woodley's, I don't know, is Woodley retired now? Is he even in the UFC? I don't know. So he's not really top of the mind anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I think Volkanovsky has, a, you're right, a superior resume in name brand value. But I do have to say, you know, Usman if there were those hanger-ons from a bygone era, if Rory McDonald, if Carlos Condit were, you know, still around or Condit like seven years younger, you know, Usman would have washed them too. So I don't want to necessarily take away from Usman there. I mean, I think his win over Gilbert Burns is very impressive. And then his two wins over Colby are very impressive. Uh, but yeah, it's like them, one and one A. They're right there. And then again, John Jones doesn't really fight anymore, but I can never not say that Jones is the best fighter on the planet when he's fighting. Yeah, that's kind of irritating too. And also, the John Jones question is a weird one too. Not that this should turn into a John Jones podcast, but like the John Jones one's a weird question because like now he's at heavyweight too, which we've never seen before. So it's like hard to even talk about him. Because he, he's going to fight at a weight class we haven't seen him fight in. And, I mean, I guess he fought there in the regional circuit before he made the UFC. So, like, what is heavyweight John Jones look like? And hopefully we see that against Stipe or, or Francis Ngannou soon. But, um, yeah, like, you're you're right. One in 1A for those two. And in, in whatever order you want to put them in, I don't care. I, you know, the other thing is, too, I feel like, is he going up and losing to Jan Blankovic, who is not the most dominant 205 champion we ever see, takes away, but it shouldn't. I mean, Izzy is unbelievable, and it's a joy to watch him fight at middleweight. And I think if he had just never come up and gotten starched in rounds four and five by Jan Blakovic on the ground, mind you, you know, we'd be saying video game Izzy could knock out anyone and yada, yada, yada. So he's kind of in that mix, too, in my opinion, as well. I don't want the 205 Izzy to take away from what he's built at 185. And I also have to say... You know, now it kind of leads to the question of what's next for Volkanovski because I think they had in their mind Giga Chikadze would be the next title challenger, uh, but then he goes and loses um, Calvin and <laughs> to Calvin Cater, and then Calvin Cater goes and loses to Josh Emmett, and it's like, oh, Volkanovski's going to face Josh Emmett? I mean, I'm bored already. So, like, for me, what actually interests me more than anything would be Volkanovski coming up and facing some guys at 155 and having – you know, a huge reach disadvantage and height disadvantage and, you know, Volkanovski versus Justin Gaethje, Volkanovski versus Dustin Poirier, like sign me up. I want to see him figure out that puzzle because he is so uh, consistent in his striking and he is so measured and just strategic in how he goes about picking apart people over a course of five rounds. I'd love to see him come up to 155. Yeah, I'd love to see him come up to 155, too. I think if they do that, it's ultimately going to be for the title shot. You're you're sadly not going to get him against Gaethje, or you're sadly not going to get him against, you know, Poirier, unless he wins the title, because he says he's willing to defend it. 
I typically hate these matches where they they go up in weight classes, but right now I don't see a a really clear cut contender in either of those two divisions. So like now is the time to strike that right because like. Yeah, you can make the argument Josh Emmett's ready for a title shot at, at featherweight, but like you know, let him fight the winner of Ortega and in Yair and and have that that crown of champ or uh, contender. And the same thing in lightweight, you know, Islam Makhachev is right there. Uh, you know, they they said they want him to fight Benil Dariush. He didn't look really great his last time out, so they want him to get one more fight in there. Let that happen. You know, like in you know. Oliveira said he wanted a, uh, you know, a big money match. And yeah, Conor McGregor is probably actually the big money match. But the Volkanovski one as a, as a double title fight, I think works too. Here's a, a, a piece I do want to just throw in there too, though. You, you mentioned Volkanovski being at a huge disadvantage in, in far as size goes in the division. So I, I just randomly pulled up Justin Gaethje as, as a person here. So first of all, Justin Gaethje uh, is five foot eleven. Okay, he's a he's a big tall guy, or at least a big tall guy for that division. Volkanovski five six, so he's at a five inch disadvantage in terms of height. Okay, so that that's pretty much what we expected, right? Volkanovski's a little you know fire hydrant looking dude. Uh, he actually has a one inch advantage over Gaethje in the reach. Is that not crazy? <laughs> yeah, that's that's very weird. Um, I still think I think Gaethje would use that height to huge advantage in that match. Um, uh, yeah, I do but too. Yeah. But it, but it's crazy that his arms are that long that like he he just happens to have a reach advantage over Justin Gaethje. <laughs> you know what I I have to say you know I when I think about like Connor coming back and you think about putting him against anyone at 155 and like the top five, I mean, we already saw what happened with him and Poirier. I don't necessarily need to see that again. I know it was a little fluky on the last one, but whatever, just kind of is what it is. Um, and then him and Gaethje, interesting, just because Gaethje could get a little wild and Gaethje's not going to take him down. So that's like a favorable matchup to Connor. Islam Makiachev, don't even fucking kid me. Like, I mean, Makiachev would swallow Connor whole, uh, and that sounded weird, but I meant like, I think. <laughs> um, and then I guess Benil Darush Chandler. Okay. I, I, the point I was going to make was that Connor, I'm not picking against anyone in the top five. Eh, maybe he, he might knock out Benil Darush. He might, might knock out um, Chandler, but that all being said, I like the idea of him and Volkanovsky just because again, height advantage to Connor, um, I think Connor has good enough takedown defense to keep that standing for most of the fight. Just again, he could utilize the size there. And Connor's always historically done well against people who are 145. Now he Volkanovski would be coming up in this matchup, but it would favor Connor on the size side. So I kind of like that matchup actually. Yeah, that would be. I think I'd still favor Volkanovski, but it would be a wild, oh, yeah. it would be a wild choice to like make that matchup when there's so many other things you could do with those two. But like, yeah, I'm I'm here for it if they they did decide to do it. There are enough like X factors in there where I'm like, oh, I kind of like that for Connor. Whereas like, you know, well, I, I love it for Volkanovski because that dude deserves to be praised more for the the absolute clinics he's putting on. He fifty forty five to Max Holloway. And there was no doubt about any of the rounds. Like, he yeah. deserves to be, like, praised for what he's doing, and, and he isn't enough. So, like, that, that McGregor fight is great for him in that way, too. 
Well, you talk about being uh, deserving in praise. We are deserving in praise because we want to give people some good betting advice. I don't know if that really makes us deserving in praise, but I just wanted to do a transition. So let's get to Fights, Dogs, and Parlays this week, Gumby. It's our favorite segment. We dole out some good betting advice, a couple of fights to break down, a couple of live dogs, and a parlay to play. Let's get into it for UFC Vegas 58, somewhat of a come down off the elation of last weekend's pay-per-view card. Uh, but before we get into it, I want to know, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MMA Play 365. If you've been listening to us week after week, you know all the things that MMA Play 365 can do for you. So I want to take a minute to just highlight their Bayes AI prediction software. Because Bayes uses advanced algorithms to give you percentages for each possible outcome on every UFC fight. And the brains behind Bayes have been tweaking the algorithms and it's absolutely smoking the competition. Just listen to the percentages it's hitting on the last five events. 72% of picks, 77, 82, 67, and 100% of their picks. You don't get results like that often in the MMA world, so go get on it. Try it at the next event for just $4.99, or if you want to try a full year of it, you can get a 10% discount when you use promo code TOPTURTLE at checkout. Don't miss this game changer. That's MMA Play 365. All right. We actually, you know, this is an underwhelming card, but I do like this matchup. Um, Is it necessarily main event quality? Eh, You know, for a week-to-week fight night, it's pretty good. You have uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, a former champion and ranked number seven, taking on number 10 Rafael Fiziev at 155. And Fiziev's been on one. Uh, dating back to 2019, debuted in the UFC on a loss, but has come back and won five in a row with the likes of spinning wheel kick KOs over Brad Riddell, knocking out Hanato Moicano. Fiziev is on a roll and looking ever so dangerous, and now facing a former champion in Rafael Dos Anjos, who's on a two-fight win streak himself. Lost to Leon Edwards and Michael Chiesa in 2019-2020, and has since come back with a split decision win over Paul Felder, and a unanimous decision win over Hanato Moicano, the aforementioned, back in March of 2022. Uh, that was that catch weight, but that all being said, going for three in a row. And if you want the old odds on this, Fizzy have a two to one favorite at minus 205, and Dosanios almost a two to one dog. He's a plus 175. Does the former champ, the veteran, RDA, have enough to beat the up and coming Raphael Fiziev? It's the Battle of Raphael's. Let's hear it. No, I don't, I don't think he's got enough left in the tank. But part of my problem here with Dos Anjos is he's just kind of become a little bit too slow on the feet for a guy who's as young as, as Fiziev is. Like, I think Fiziev is so fast on the feet. You, you know, you see him firing off those kicks, not just the spinning ones, but like just the front body kicks and things like that. And look, the thing about Dos Anjos that has worked for him, at, at least at lightweight, you know, like not so much at, when he went up to welterweight, but at lightweight, the thing that's worked for him is he's got sharp, basic striking. You know, it doesn't have to be super, super advanced or super, super high quality, but like he's got really good striking and he mixes in the takedowns, right? We saw him beat the hell out of Anthony Pettis that way. We see, saw him beat Nate Diaz back in the day that way. And more recently, that's how we beat Felder and Moicano, right? Like, just by grinding them out with a whole bunch of takedowns and mixing it up and, and working it in. In his UFC career, Rafael Fiziev has faced 20 takedowns. He's given up one of them. One out of 20 takedowns. And that's against guys like Mark Diacasey, who we just saw, 
you know, shoot, score 11 takedowns in his last fight. It's against good grapplers like Moicano and Riddell. So, like, I mean, the guy is a great boxer. He's great at takedown defense. And I just think, like, heat on the way up while Dos Anjos is on the way down. This favors Fiziev in a whole bunch of ways. I agree completely. Let's get to the next fight. I don't think there's much more to break down there, unfortunately, but I am looking forward to the fight. So I don't, I don't want to say I'm not looking forward to it, but I think the outcome is, is clear. Uh, Chow Bohio, uh, who we've talked to, uh, friend of the show today is a minus 175 favorite to Armin Petrosian, a plus 150 dog. Um, these two guys have an interesting backstory uh, in that uh, our boy Chow is a two-time Dana White Contender Series veteran with two wins and then picked up another win in his real UFC, de- UFC debut against, and I'm going to butcher the name, Gazi or Margadjiev. You nailed uh, and it. That was back. <laughs> that was back in uh, April. So if you count Dana White contender series, Bohio three and O, and Petrosian is coming off a win himself over Gregory Rodriguez. Uh, that was back in February of this year. Uh, that was a split decision, and he also was on Dana White contender series with a win there uh, back in October of 2021, uh, won the fight with a head kick, KO, TKO. So two Dana White Contender Series guys trying to make a name for themselves in the UFC. Um, the Ohio, the minus 175 favorite. Petrosian, a plus 150 dog. Let's hear the real breakdown, Gumby. Don't just go easy on him because he did our show. Who's going to win here? So I, I am going with, with Bohio, but not just because he was on our show. Look, I, I really like Armin Petrosian. I think he's a good prospect off of Contender Series. But, like, the book's out on how to beat him. You take him down, right? Uh, he, he's a kickboxer, and that's pretty much all he is. He's given up five takedowns in his two fights so far, if you count Contender Series and the UFC. And, and quite frankly, I think he lost that fight to Gregory Rodriguez. I, I think Rodriguez was absolutely in, on top in the cards. It goes to a split decision, and somehow they gave it to Petrosian, which I didn't agree with so yeah like I just think here we got Bohio a guy who's well versed in the striking he's incredibly credibly long right like he's, he's got like a 75 inch reach or something like that so he's gonna have a big reach advantage over Petrosian despite the fact Petrosian I think is a little bit taller um and in addition to that too like I think he's going to hold his own on the feet first chance he's gonna get he's gonna take him down and we saw Kai Bohio beat up a couple of guys who are very good grapplers right like we saw him take down Gazi Omar Gadzaev. We, we saw him take down Aaron Jeffrey, who's not a bad grappler. So, like, we know he can take down guys who are good grapplers. We know he can dominate them on the floor. I think he probably does that here against Petrosian, too. I, I really like it, him by submission here, too, which if you're trying to get real cute. I like it. Uh, Cynthia Cavijo is a minus 155 favorite, uh, and she'll be taking on Nina Nunes. Uh, formerly known as Nina Ansaroff. Uh, she's a plus 130, is Nina Nunes. Uh, Nina Nunes is on a two-fight losing streak, lost to Mackenzie Dern back in April of last year, and lost to Tatiana Suarez, beast is Tatiana Suarez, uh, back in June of 2019. Had a baby in between, so um, this is really more on the comeback trail for her. Uh, if you want to go back to her last win, it was over Claudia Gadelia. She actually put together a very nice four-fight win streak before the Tatiana Suarez loss. Wins over Randa Marcos, Angela Hill, 
Claudia Gedalia, definitely from January of 2017 to December of 2018, her best two-year run in the UFC for Nunes, and obviously trying to get back to those winning ways against Cynthia Cavijo, and maybe Cynthia Cavijo, just the person to do it against, because she's on a three-fight losing streak. You'd have to go back to June of 2020 to find Cavijo's last win, which was a unanimous decision over Jessica I, but she's lost to Caitlin Chikagian. Jessica Andrade and Andrea Lee in the meantime, that Lee loss was back in November of 2021. It was via KO. So one has to assume if we go by, uh, you know, standard formula here, a fourth loss in a row could mean RIP for Cynthia Cavijo's UFC prospects. Who you take in here? And if I didn't mention it, I think I did, but I'll say it again. Cavijo minus 155 favorite and Nunes, the plus 130 dog. Cavijo! Three-fight losing streak and the minus-155 favorite. What are you take, doing, Gumby? Yeah, I'm going with Nunes. Uh, I mean, you you mentioned the three-fight losing streak. Now, granted, that was up at flyweight, but I actually think Calvillo makes more sense at flyweight. Like, she was having a really tough weight cut down at strawweight, and so now she's going back down to strawweight to fight Nita Nunes. And I'll say this about Nunes, too, which I, I feel like people are sleeping on. You know, she, you are, you're right. She's on a two-fight losing streak, but it is to two phenomenal grapplers in Tatiana Suarez and Mackenzie Dern. Like, they don't get any better than those two, right? And the thing about those fights is she did a really great job of staying on her feet in those fights. Uh, She stuffed one of the two takedowns with Dern, uh, which is, you know, impressive in its own right. And granted, the one time she got down, she got finished because that's how Mackenzie Dern rolls. But she actually stuffed 9 out of 13 takedowns on Tatiana Suarez, which, like, nobody's putting up numbers stuffing takedowns on Tatiana Suarez like that. That is incredible. So I think people sleep on just how good the takedown defense of Nina Nunez is. She she did it to uh, Claudia Gedalia before that. And, and really, the problem with Cynthia Calvillo when she went up to flyweight and why she's coming back down is she was having a tough time getting her takedown game going, right? Like, she's a good grappler. She's, you know, not fast enough to really beat people in the striking, and she's not sharp enough to beat people in the striking. I think Nunes pieces her up on the feet here, stuffs the takedowns, and wins a decision. Boom. I really like where you're going with that pick, and I like her at the plus money um, for all the reasons you listed. Our underdog of the week, though, is Courtney Casey, who's a plus 155 over Antonina Shevchenko. Let's hear it. Yeah, so first of all, Courtney Casey, another one who's gone up to uh, flyweight and had kind of mixed results, but the thing I like about it now is she seems to have gotten – um, her footwork right. She she seems to know what she wants to do with her footwork and seems to know what she wants to do to stay in and out of clinches. And Antonina Shevchenko is not going to do what the past opponents have done to Courtney Casey that have given her trouble at flyweight. She's not going to take her down. She's not going to grind her out. She might try to get in the clinch, but I really think Courtney Casey turned a corner with the Leanna Jojua fight last time in staying out of bad clinch situations and bad grappling situations. So Really, all she's got to do here is keep distance uh, and, and work maybe her own takedown in here or there because Shevchenko off of her back, eh, not that skilled. So I like Courtney Casey here at plus 155, and that's two two women's dogs in a row. I will tell you, women's dogs are hitting at a historic rate in 2022, so jump on both of them. And our parlay to play is the aforementioned Raphael Fiziev at minus 205 and David Onama a minus 280, so two Strong favorites, but pair them together. It does get you plus 102 odds, so you're in that plus territory. Let's hear it. 
Yeah, so Hafael Fiziev, uh, I, you know, I don't have to get too much into that. And I love David Onama here. He's got big knockout power. Uh, and he's fighting Austin Lingo, who, you know, I think is good, but really hasn't done much other than try to go out there and box people so far in his UFC career. I just don't think he stands and bangs with David Onama and does a good job of it. So, yeah, I, I'm all over uh, Onama here and just pair him with RDA and get a plus return. All right. Well, that does it for this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We sure hope you enjoyed it. Let us know on our Twitter if we did you right or did you dirty. That, of course, is at Top Turtle MMA. Same thing goes for our IG. Gumby, this train is a moving down the tracks. We're rumbling, and we're going to go to something else. What is that? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with the aforementioned Courtney Casey, who fights Antonita Shevchenko at UFC Vegas uh, 58, and that we're gonna get to that interview right be- after I mentioned that this episode is brought, or this interview rather, is brought to you by Maroon Social, and they are UNE. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial arts, you can use Maroon Social to log your training par- training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Courtney Casey. All right, and joining me today is Courtney Casey, who fights Antonina Shevchenko at UFC Vegas 58, that fight on July 9th. So, Courtney, I wanted to start here. You know, obviously, this fight was already booked once. It was booked back in March. We had, you know, quite a bit of a delay, a three-month delay. Can, can you clue us into a little bit of why it got delayed and, and perhaps how frustrating that may be for you wanting a fight seemingly in March? Um, it was actually April, the end of April. Um, but yeah, um, I'm not really a hundred percent sure. I was just told that she needed a little bit more time and, um, we liked the opponent. So we didn't want to have like a, a short notice, uh, change as far as like keeping the fight April 30th. Jakar was fighting anyways, April 16th. So it was already, um, it was already close. And cause I got the call his fight week that, that she needed some more time. So, I mean, two weeks with an opponent change, I, my, me and my coaches just thought it was best if we just kept the same opponent and, and got it uh, rescheduled. And it just so happened to be <laughs> July 9th. So it was a little bit far, but um, it could have been worse. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing. And, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of a downfall just making the adjustments as far as how long your camp is and making sure you peak at the same time. But other than that, you know, we're good to go. And you mentioned a couple of times in there that you really liked the opponent. You wanted to keep the opponent. Is there something in particular about Antonita Shevchenko that was, you know, the type of opponent you were looking for here in your your fifth fight at flyweight? Uh, no, we just we just liked the matchup as far as you know we were given her and and we agreed to it. And then um, we just didn't want to, you know, like take on someone short notice because um, we had. We had already had a long camp first, so I was preparing for a southpaw and, you know, someone taller and everything like that. And then we didn't just want, you know, a different style. So we just agreed that, you know, it's probably in my best interest just to keep her. Um, but, yeah, nothing stands out, you know, as far as her being, like, this excellent opponent for me. I mean, every fight's a fight, and it can go either way. But we just, we just kind of, like, stylistically, we liked, um, you know, that she's more of a striker and, and things like that. So, 
you know, I don't have to worry about someone just taking me down and laying on top of me. So as far as a good opponent goes, anyone that's willing to stand and bang is always a good opponent for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you know, you mentioned people, you know, taking you down and, and laying on you and, and kind of putting in the boring fight. Have you found that that's like a little bit more frustrating up at, at flyweight? Obviously, the, the beginning of your flyweight career didn't go quite the way that you expected it to, but you seem to have found your footing now. Is there a change you made to kind of stop that from happening or or just, you know, better opponents, so to speak? Um, No, I mean, it's definitely something I've been working on my entire career. Um, it's just frustrating. It's hard to do things when someone's not doing anything, when they're just laying on you and holding on for dear life and just winning the position, I guess you can say, and the top control, but not really doing damage. is It's really frustrating as a fighter. Um, but that seems to be what happens is they, they just take me down and they just lay on me. Um, they don't really do any damage. They're not trying to better their position by any means. They're just hunkering down and, and trying to avoid damage and just, you know, right out the time. Um, I don't think I've really found a, a complete answer for that because, I mean, I just lays on you and that goes for all divisions, but um, for me, it's just, we've just been adding a lot of footwork in there, you know, to uh, make sure that we're not standing right in front of someone. I like to stand and bang, so that's kind of my problem, is if I stand in front of you, it's easier for you to take me down. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, just kind of being a little bit more evasive and, and using my footwork. I like it. Now, you, you mentioned that Antonina Shevchenko is a fighter that you expect to just stand in front of you and bang, she, she also has been mixing in a little bit more of her jiu-jitsu as of late. It seems like she's trying to round her game out as well. Uh, obviously, you prefer the stand and bang, as you've mentioned a couple of times already. But, uh, like, do you expect her to feel like she can feel comfortable standing and banging with you for 15 full minutes? I mean, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. She, um, she has a good clench game and, and things like that, so I know she likes to, to wear on her opponents that way. Um but I feel like we came up with a good game plan for that as well. Excellent. Excellent to hear. Now you mentioned this at the top too, is that, Obviously, your partner, Drakkar, was in fight camp with you at the same exact time as your last fight. He, he's got a fight coming at the end of the month as well. So, like, you're you're doing it again where you're both seemingly in fight camps at the same time. Is that by design? Do you guys prefer to go through all of that together? Is it easier with both of you in that situation? He likes it. He, li he likes it because he doesn't think that. You know, I mean, his life doesn't change. He continues to do the same thing and be and be Jakar no matter what. For me, it's a little bit more difficult because now I got to take care of me, I got to take care of him, and I have to take care of our son, of course. But um, so it's a little bit more on my plate. I don't mind it. I would just prefer it not to be that way. Um, we definitely don't do it by design. It's just something that has has happened. Um, but it is nice knowing that you know we got these we get these fights out of the way. We'll have the same amount of, you know, decent amount of off time together instead of, like, him being in camp and then me being in camp and then we never have a break where someone's always in camp. So I feel like that's the good thing, and I know that that's what he really likes about it is that we know after July we'll at least have August to kind of relax and go on vacation and, and, and things like that and kind of enjoy our life outside of, you know, training and fighting and definitely be able to – you know, spend one-on-one -on -one time with, with our son and, and do like a family vacation. Well, normally we're not able to do it because someone's always in camp. Well, that's excellent to hear. Now, we, we obviously have to return to the fight here and talk a little bit more about Shevchenko. 
you know, you're, you're in the flyweight division now, which has not one but two Shevchenko sisters with one of them reigning on the top. Do, do you feel like it? You, you have to do something a little bit extra to make a statement being that, you know, it's the champion sister. That's where you want to be one day. Like, is there any added pressure in there in that situation? No, I don't think there's any added pressure. I just definitely think that it's someone I don't want to go to the judges with. Um, just because her name definitely weighs a little bit heavier than mine. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, she's a good fighter. I know, and, you know, it seems like she's always in her, her sister's shadows, which, I mean, her sister is a champ, but I think she's a great fighter as well. She just really, you know, has had some ups and downs um, as far as, like, her fights go. But I, she's a very seasoned fighter, very well-rounded, um, you know. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to, to get in there and, and be able to, uh, to fight a Shevchenko. Absolutely. And you said you don't want to go to the decisions with her. So give us a prediction. How do you see this one ending on July 9th? With my hand raised, hopefully with inside the, the, the first two rounds. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely think I can get the job done. Um, TKO, KO, um, something along the lines of that. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Courtney Casey, who fights Antonina Shevchenko at UFC Vegas 58. That fight on July 9th. Courtney, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We cannot do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Better Than Vegas, MMA Play 365, and Maroon Social. And as a reminder, you can check us out on the socials at Top Turtle MMA in both Twitter and Instagram. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll catch you then.